Hello everyone, and welcome to a little extra episode of Is This Just Fantasy? Because we're taking a little extended break, we'd like to share an episode we recorded back in April as a little tidier episode. We originally wanted to release it back then, but we decided to hold it back, and I'm glad we did, because now you can enjoy it whilst Duncan and I are both off on our holidays, by which I mean I'm already back from my holiday and Duncan has just departed on his. His is much longer than mine. Hey ho. Please enjoy! Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host, Geordie Bailey. And I'm the other half of this Watson and Holmes dynamic, Duncan Nickel. Uh, uh the, the, the other half, Duncan? Uh, could you, could you be more specific about which half? Now, Geordie, if you were the better half of that dynamic, you'd be able to deduce which half I am. <laughs> That's well put, Duncan. Well done. Uh, okay, so... Uh, before we tear our partnership apart any further, uh, what are we reading this week, Duncan? Because it's not the Northern Lights. No, this week we have actually read a short story by Neil Gaiman, mm. The Study in Emerald. Uh, a story I had literally never heard of. Like, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of Neil Gaiman stuff. I've never seen this brought up once. Neither have I. Honestly, until you literally sent it to me, it's free on the internet, for mm-hmm. those interested. It's incredibly it's a- brief. It has a really strong idea, it's executed, mm-hmm. and then it just ends. Yeah. It's, um, I can't believe no one talks about this, because this was an absolute blast. Like, on so many levels, this is so fun, so clever, and so easy. Like, <laughs> it's nine pages, and it, and it won an award and stuff. I don't know if it maybe it speaks to, kind of, all of Neil Gaiman's work, that this would get mm. lost in the fold. That he has so many sort of acclaimed pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I'm really surprised that never when I've gone through kind of message boards about, oh, what's your favourite Neil Gaiman book? I suppose no one would bring this up as their favourite, maybe. No, because it is so... It, the thing about it is that, you know, when Neil Gaiman wrote The Sandman, so many times he, he played with genre and he played with, like, embarking on the work of other people. Like, he had to do things like imitate the writing of Shakespeare when he wrote about Shakespearean characters. And I think he is really flexing that muscle here by vanishing into another writer's work. In case it hasn't been clear enough now, Duncan, what is the conceit of A Study in Emerald? A Study in Emerald is a... I'm going to call, use the word pache, or pachiche. I mean... That's how you actually yeah. pronounce it. Of Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. Except mm. we're taking that universe... Mm-hmm. And in very much the same spirit as something like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, we are colliding it with another literary literary canon, and that is the mm-hmm. Cthulhu mythos from H.P. Lovecraft. That's, that's right. Sherlock Holmes in the world of Innsmouth and at the Mountains of Madness. But actually more, even darker, really, than that, because, you know, the world that H.P. Lovecraft represents is one where... You know, that stuff is at the fold, and it's scary, and it's haunting, and it destroys you. But this is even worse, because this postulates a world where the Great Old Ones showed up a thousand years ago, and and won, and now everyone worships them, and they are part of the daily life. Part of the charm of this story is that you are reading, like, a study in Scarlet, uh, you know, as you would expect to read it. But 
you just so happen to live in a world where Queen Victoria is like a 50-foot-tall beetle monster with psychic powers, and, and, and England is called New Albion and stuff like that. I think it's very safe to say there's no way to kind of open up this short story without completely spoiling it from end to end. So That's right. If you have listened to that kind of brief summation on the concept then please mm-hmm. go away read it it'll probably take less time than we take to discuss it and it'll then come 35 back 35 minutes to read it i seriously mean that i read almost all of it over my lunch break and like partway through my lunch break like i didn't sit down on my lunch break to read it i found it whilst on reddit during my lunch break then please come back and join the discussion again and please. i seriously recommend it because it is this is like really really good Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. Did you enjoy reading it? Good. Duncan, take us away. What's so kind of wonderful about this text and why we're it and why we're kind of praising it so much is not only the fact that it blends the two universes so seamlessly. It builds, I think, a truly successful mystery. Mm-hmm. It follows the course of study in Scarlet actually quite loyally, at least through the opening section. And mm. the actual style, the layout, is something that we will have to go into great deal of detail for. If you read the online version, which I'm sure most people will, you the should. actual artwork and the page layout mimics a kind of newspaper mm-hmm. um, design yeah, from the You're reading the serialised version of this in the same way that some collections of Charles Dickens stories don't put them onto a regular printed page, but actually capture the ways in which they were compiled originally in newspapers and magazines and stuff, this does the same. It takes it straight from the pages and it just puts it into a PDF format. And it uses that not only to add kind of the art and the aesthetic, but also incorporate fantastic um, like, like advertisements and yeah, jokes. Yeah, like these little ads. Like there's one which is um, uh, Dr. Jekyll's revivifying formula. And it says, <laughs> and you know, it really is like the darkest timeline because in this... Uh, Dr. Jekyll has taken his 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 mysterious personality changing substance and he is selling it. Like, people, there are, like, tons. It's just implied there are probably thousands of hides out there getting up to mayhem. So, from the top, then, how mm. does our story begin? It begins with an Afghan war veteran returning mm-hmm. from the good fight against the Afghans and their gods. Yes. The best thing about it is that is how it like incorporates in like um it just incorporates in the exact same stylings as Dr. John Watson's original like account of his time in Afghanistan and it just lightly sprinkles right from the start like the it delves into this whole like oh he wasn't shot by an Afghan bullet he was like attacked by things that should not be and like his withered arm is never recovered because, like, um, because it was, like, cursed or something. And our young doctor meets mm-hmm. a great deducer, deductor. Exactly. The he meets invest- a, con- a consulting detective. They have their conversation where he deduces how he was in Afghanistan, and then they, um... And then they then they get their lodgings together at 221B. So, and actually, for this episode, I went and I tried to read... Uh, a study in Scarlet. Uh, I, I say tried. Uh, it turns out a study in Scarlet 
Arthur Conan Doyle was definitely trying to find his feet. That is probably the worst Sherlock Holmes story I've ever read. Uh, it just gets really bogged down into a story about Mormon settlers in America, and it really didn't need to do that. I, I don't think so. I haven't got through the Mormon bit yet, so maybe there's a big payoff, but boy, I've never read enough uh, a Sherlock Holmes story that is so boring. What's your relationship with Sherlock Holmes in general? Oh, I, I love Sherlock Holmes. Like, I, I read I read him a, a bunch when I was a kid, you know, The Hound of the Baskervilles, and especially The Return of Sherlock Holmes. I just read that, those stories, over and over and over. What about you? Not not so much. I've actually oh, really? never read any of Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes works. Oh, dude, you're definitely not getting the full appeal of this story, because I did notice earlier that what you didn't mention is how well Neil Gaiman captures the, the prose and the feel of those stories and, and, tra- and warps them in this interesting way, because, because part of what is so excellent about reading Sherlock Holmes stories is getting not just Watson's ignorance of what Sherlock is up to, but the way in which he just is able to describe the goings-on around him. It, the interplay between Watson's description of the world and then Sherlock's explanation of what's really happening. So yeah, I, 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 I mean, I recommend it, man. If you enjoyed this, you'll probably enjoy the real thing. So what's your, as a then, if I was going to it as a newbie, bear in mind, I, I have watched, you know, adaptation after adaptation after adaptation of Sherlock Holmes. Mm. So I am familiar with the character, the dynamic. And to be fair, yeah. even though I didn't know he... I didn't, I'm not familiar with the original voice of Sherlock Holmes mm. in terms of the prose. I knew immediately that this wasn't Neil Gaiman's prose. Or mm. like, it is obviously it is his prose, but this wasn't his traditional style. So I knew instantly, okay, well, you must be emulating something. Yeah. Um, and then obviously it would be Sherlock Holmes. So where, as a beginner, where do I begin? I would say you can't really go wrong with the speckled band. Um, it really highlights a lot of the Victorian charm behind that stuff. Um, it's a good mystery. Uh, there's also uh, Black Peter. That one works. I, I think that's a good story. I remember enjoying that one a lot. It also really emphasizes the um, the nicer version of Sherlock Holmes. Like I, in reading a study in Scarlet, I can definitely see how like you get characters that have developed out of him. Like say Doctor House. The whole idea that smart people are in some way assholey. Basically, Sherlock Holmes got a lot nicer as the stories went on, and Black Peter, I think, is kind of the um, the ultimate end of that. He's he's humbled, he's kinder, he makes more forgiving, nice choices. There's another story which is one of my favorites. I wish I could remember the name of it. I might um, I might edit it in what it's called after this, but it's essentially like about um, this man uh, meets this old friend of his mother and and comes into his inheritance. Uh, and then, like, the next day, that guy dies, and he immediately rushed to Sherlock Holmes saying, look, it looks so much like I killed this guy, but I promise I didn't. I promise. Uh, that story was The Adventure of the Norwood Builder from The Return of Sherlock Holmes. It, it is a good story. All right, then. How many, um... That's what I said. See, now I'm interested in that story. I think I have a real... I don't say a tick for, like, the mystery stories, because I don't read a lot of them. Mm. Like, yeah, they're not my normal wheelhouse. But once I get a premise, it's like, okay, I'm e- I either need to know what happened 
like by watching this or I or reading this or I have to go to Wikipedia and just know what happened. <laughs> like the number of times I've watched um like trailers for like thriller films and they have like an opening present like premise in the trailer and I go, okay, I'm not going to watch that, but I do need to know what happens. I mean, the great thing about Sherlock Holmes story is that they are they are not long. You can whiz through them real fast. In this particular Sherlock Holmes story, now. Uh, in that case, I'll quickly take you through um, a study in Scarlet and a study in Emerald up to the point of deviation. A siphon hole, Cthulhu of it all. So a study in Scarlet is the meeting of, of uh, Dr. John Watson and Sherlock Holmes. So they meet, they, they get lodgings together. Uh, uh, most of a study in Scarlet is actually just introducing us to Sherlock Holmes. It's not until chapter three that he actually starts solving mysteries and stuff. And they actually, he's even doesn't do a lot of his whole deductive reasoning. It's more just about how he's a bit of an oddball. What's your opinion on deductive reasoning? Like, uh, is it a writer's, you know, bit of fun? You know, is it all, and practically it's bullshit or? I think there are times when it is well explored in the story. For example, there's one story in particular I remember where he's able to ascertain that a woman rides a bicycle. And I think that is a fun limit of it. Like, say, oh, I can figure out um, uh, a, a part of your a part of your story just from a glance. I think that's good. There are some serious leaps in logic. Like, I, I often have a good chuckle at myself when I think about how, um, I think about the, sh- like, BBC version of Sherlock where he makes these absolutely ginormous suppositions about people's lives. Like, I was thinking the other day, uh, I was thinking yesterday, in fact, whilst preparing for this episode about their episode on the Hounds of Baskerville. Uh, the Hound of the Baskerville, they call it Hounds of Baskerville. I don't remember, but they um, there's a bit in it when he meets the guy who's come to his flat and he makes this, he tells a story about how he can tell from the way this guy wipes his nose with uh, a napkin that he met a girl on the train. Uh, he liked her a lot, uh, but actually he eventually changed her mind and um, changed his mind. And isn't really interested in her anymore. And he tells us because of the fact that he has a num a phone number written on his um written on the napkin, and that he circled the O in a in a V zero in a different coloured pen after it got smudged. Uh, but now he's wiped his nose with it. Um, and that's stupid. It's very stupid because one, you don't know that it was a girl. Could have been a guy, so really? you're like literally homophobic right off the bat, Sherlock. Um, second, you don't know that it was someone who was romantically interested in it. He could have seen a number for like a help desk or something and written it down because he wanted to call it later. Um, and he might have just forgotten. He might have just forgotten that that was the napkin he wrote it on. So very stupid. So, you know, it comes and goes. I think they're very much the same actually I've had. Uh, particularly when I was watching the Robert Downey Jr. films. That, it's a bit The occasions where I'm just like, well, how? There's so many other options, but it's always nice when he's right. I would love to do, if there's a story out there where Sherlock does his reasoning and he has that confidence and then he just full-on kind of walks into a wall because he gets it completely off. I mean, that's the second Sherlock Holmes, buddy. That's a, that's a, a scandal in Bavaria. Or is it Bohemia? Oh, is that the one with Irene Adler? Yeah, he just screws up. He does, he does a bad job. Glad that's established nice and early. Mm. Yeah, reference. I I think so too. I like the fact that um, you know Sherlock Holmes is kind of a, he's not a nice guy from the start, and Arthur Conan Doyle is like, you know, I don't want this guy to be um, 
I don't want this guy to be a goody two-shoes right from the start. Eventually, Sherlock Holmes becomes this very, very heroic character, you know, who's able to make distinctions about who needs to be punished and who doesn't. Like, two of my favorite stories, for example, with uh, Charles Augustus Moran, um, where he lets a murderer go because he's like, that guy had it coming. I'm not going to step in here. That's a great story, by the way. Anyway, so to lay out the differences, essentially, aside from the whole Cthulhu-y stuff, in A Study in Emerald, everything is going normal until they get the iconic Lestrade comes along. He takes them to the scene of a murder. Now, this is the chance for Sherlock Holmes originally to, you know, um, to, 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 to show his stuff. He, he can tell the, the length of someone's stride, tell that a tall man did this. He can figure out their height by the height of the letters he wrote on the wall when he wrote the German word Rock, um, which Lestrade thinks is going to be Rachel, and which Sherlock Holmes insulted, like, at Sherlock, the BBC version of Sherlock insulted by saying, obviously that's a stupid clue, why would you do that? Um, but what's the difference about this particular body, Duncan? It's not just some guy. Well, firstly, it's not just some guy. It is one of the offspring of the royalty in this world. And instead of it being a study in scarlet with red blood scattered Mm -hmm. about the room, it is emerald blood. Yeah. That bleeds out of it. And I love the fact that no one really reacts to that. Exactly. That's the thing. I thought, even though I knew that it was quite a Cthulhu-y world, I was waiting for them to be, what could this mean? This is so strange. But no, everyone's completely mundane about it. Because even at this point, I still wouldn't understand how much Neil Gaiman was committing to the whole, this is just normal for these people. They see a tentacly monster on the floor, dead, and they say, How sad. A member of the royal family has been killed. Oh, okay, well, we'll get more about the Cthulhu in a scene later on, but there's so much I want to like ask you and explore about this mm. world, because I actually love the idea of the Cthulhu monsters. Fuck it, we're talking about it now, aren't we? Um, I love the idea of these Cthulhu monsters actually like managing the world. Mm. And I love the fact that, by and large... They do seem to be running it as per norm. Yeah, it's it, it, we sort of get into that whole stranger normal thing where destiny seems to uh, just decide that things are going to kind of keep going as they are. Like, there are differences. Like, England is called New Albion, or maybe Britain is called New Albion. I can't say which. And it makes some references to the fact that different Cthulhu monsters rule different parts of the world. So you can imagine that things are a bit different. But it's not even like northern lights level of variation they have so many of the same words for things and they have similar levels of technology to where they should be so are we kind of saying that actually being ruled by the actual real world upper classes and being ruled by giant cthulhu style monsters doesn't make a difference yeah i guess that's what we have to take away from it i guess we really do have more in common with one another than we do we have with the ruling class oh i'm glad that was neil gaiman's message yeah Good, good for you. Stamp on this book. So, okay. the actual, like, there isn't actually a lot of detective work. Like, our great detective in uh, A Study in Emerald, he doesn't do that much detecting. He only really goes through one step further, and that is that he figures out that the guy who did the murder smokes a pipe. They figure out that he's tall, and eventually we find out that, like, it was two guys, and one of the other guy had a limp. And and then he does his own, like, he does that classic, he does an homage to that classic 
Sherlock Holmesy thing where he dresses up in a bunch of disguises and he goes out of a town and he finds a way to the theater. But I think we really should hone in before we get to um, one of my favorite bits in the uh, in the story, the the, the theater scene. Um, I think we really need to uh, hone in on the meeting with the Queen of England, something which I don't believe Sherlock Holmes ever actually did. But no, actually, I was a bit surprised about that because. I, obviously, the only real adaptation that kind of had a scene like this was in, I saw in the most recent Sherlock version from the BBC mm-hmm. has a scene when he gets taken to the palace. I figured that was just a thing. Yeah, that's no that in and in that story, a prince f- comes to their apartment. Like they don't go to the palace. He does meet with a lot of politicians and stuff, though. But anyway, so what's different about this scene, Duncan? Well. This is the scene that when you're reading it through for the first time, you actually get the full kind of official reveal mm-hmm. about the history of the Cthulhu monsters taking over the world. Mm-hmm. When we meet Queen Victoria, first we meet um, Prince Albert, who actually put me off, who actually I went, oh, are you sort of normal and human? Mm. Okay, well, maybe Victoria's going to be <laughs> a degree of human. Mm. Uh, and she's not. No. She is this large beetle-like yet still with like tentacles mm-hmm. creature beautifully kind of described or not um, described I love in the a fa- true hp lovecraft way where it's like it's vaguely hinted at and she's beyond a veil so we can't quite see her but it's the atmosphere i think is what you're referring to it is perfect yes all right that's the atmosphere i'm referring to it, it is perfect um but oh, i love this little section here when we actually get victoria and he goes victoria mm. because she was victorious over us Gloriana, because her rule has been glorious, mm-hmm. um, which also implies that we've had it's been the Victorian age for like seven hundred years. I think I think that is the implication of it. Like we might be in Victorian era London, but it's it you know it's more like Industrial Revolution era London. Like Victoria has been around for a fair bit. See, this did actually open up a, an idea in the back of my head, which I don't think is the case. Mm-hmm. And I think it's completely wrong. It was just me making assumptions because obviously, oh, Queen Victoria's ruled for so long. I think it would be kind of cool if the idea in this world was the fact that the Cthulhu monsters maybe accelerated our industrial revolution to this point quickly because they have knowledge beyond our minds and then has basically gone, and that's enough, humanity. Oh, maybe. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's possible. No, no, I'm fair. It's just like, that was the fan theory that just kind of formed at the back of my head. Mm. I just like the idea of it being like, yes, we will keep humanity here. I mean, it's, yeah. That's how I would rule it. Why why would you let humans develop more further technologies? I mean, it's only going to give them more power to escape from your influence. So, the story kind of come towards its close, uh, and to a point where it's like, I wonder how things are going to wrap up, because... We haven't come anywhere near to finding the killers of this poor prince. And they go to the theatre in tracking down this killer. And they see this performance. And the, the wonderful thing about it is how it juxtaposes the normal with the um, with the bizarre. Like, they have, like, a stand-up comedian. And it's just a normal stand-up comedian. And they have dancers. And they're normal dancers. And then they do a play which elucidates how... Like, the Deep Ones came from the sea. And it's all just laid out in this completely mundane sense. It is. And I think I think that's what makes this such a beautiful story. And actually, where that kind of harrowing kind of background mm-hmm. comes into it. And I think that's as good to see on Neil Gaiman. Because this is a... Although it's taking the Cthulhu myths at both. 
This is actually quite a different style of horror than we actually get in any of those stories. Yeah, exactly. Um, I say any of them. I've read everyone. I've read the majority. Um, the idea of like taking these monsters and then making them mundane mm-hmm. and how in many respects that is more terrifying than them being these unknowable huge monsters here to destroy us. Yeah, because here's the thing. Something that's the really unsettling experience I had, I had in reading this book, my perception of this story going through it is that the worst thing about it is having our detective, having Sherlock Holmes and John Watson from my perspective, having them not realize that everything's fucked up, having them not realize that things are bad and they need to fight against it, that they are just pawns of of the system. That was really sad to me because, you know, these are heroic, familiar characters and to see them twisted was its own special type of horror. You say that, though, mm-hmm. and I know they do, the, the dark ones, the elder ones, make do do some messed up things and certainly implied in this story. But from their perspective, the system's being run as well as we know it was in our world. Mm. From their perspective, our good doctor has his arm healed as a thank you for taking on the case. Yeah, yeah. And like the trains um, are run on time. A, a little bit more and small spoilers. They ultimately don't solve this case. They don't catch uh, the killer. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, are they going to get their insides ripped out by the queen? How <laughs> dare you not hunt her down? And no, the queen just goes, thank you for trying. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not going to lie, these fairly reasonable Dark Elder overlords. To be fair, I think there might be more of their capriciousness and that they're like, you matter so little, it's a trifle whether you solve this or not. But also, so let's let's speed on to the end. And, and the end begins with a confrontation with one of our suspects. Classic Sherlock Holmes scene is the detective confronts the suspect in disguise, and he talks to him for a bit, and we're waiting for the denouement. So he meets this this actor who's been in this story. They have a bit of back and forth. He invites him to come to uh, to two two one B with his with his accomplice, with his uh, his producer or whatever. And so we have them all in place. And then, how do we bring it home? A letter arrives to them instead of the suspect showing up. And does indeed. Yeah. Do you want to take this, Duncan? So, yes. So e- even what we if get... actually, hang on. Even if <laughs> lovely Jordan, you're like, do you want to take this, Duncan? Actually, no, 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 no. no, no. no. I'm, 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 I'm so just going to say, even if you have at this point, you've had the warnings and you're still listening and you haven't read it, I really have to urge you, stop right now. It will take you twenty minutes to read this story. Stop right now. Read the story to the end. Because here's the thing, Duncan. When I said this to you, and I was like, we have to do this in the podcast, I hadn't finished the story yet. I had only gone to the theatre bit, because my lunch break ended. And so, I hadn't got to the ending yet. And the ending makes this book, this little short story, twice as good. Now, go ahead and take it. Okay, uh, I just want to let you know, I guess 50% of this ending. Uh, interesting. I guess so, none of this ending. But carry on. They get a letter... Basically describing that the actor they were talking to saw through them immediately. Mm-hmm. He did such good deduction. He knew exactly who he was talking to. Mm-hmm. And now he is telling them that he has he is fleeing and that they shall not catch him. And that he will defy these Cthulhu-like beings and will keep fighting the good fight. And there's nothing they can do to stop him. Mm. Um and Lestrade, I think it's a you know, great scene that just captures that 
version of that character mm-hmm. asked the boy like where was he when he gave you this letter and he's like on the street corner sir and he's like send all the policemen to the street corner <laughs> and then our uh two main characters sit down and our great detective mm-hmm. goes through he's like they'll stop all the ports and put watches on all the railways mm-hmm. but they won't catch them they'll probably go to ground wait for it to cool off and then they'll come back mm. But it's so horrifying, the mere idea that someone would want to overthrow our just elder rulers. Mm, mm. And and what's set up here is this this rivalry, you know? Obviously we see, ah, one mastermind versus another mastermind. We know who that other character is then. And then it just, the coup de grace, the last blow in this story. Go ahead, Duncan. So we know we're dealing with this other actor and their accomplice who has a limp. Mm-hmm. And at the final paragraphs, they go, we're not sure who the other man is, the, who the actor was, mm-hmm. but the one with the limp, we think we've identified as a Mr. Watson. Yes. Who I cannot believe within Afghanistan with me. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, and then you blink twice and you read the last bit and you say, hang on. Who wrote this? Because if he's not John Watson, who wrote this? And it's, and it's and signed. the end of the story. Yeah, it's the end of the story is yeah. from your writer, Esh dash M dash. And you realize, Duncan, who's Esh dash M dash? Well, uh, what you realize is um, that you've never read a Sherlock Holmes story. So yeah. you go to Wikipedia. One of the most iconic <laughs> who's Sherlock S-M? Holmes villains, the right-hand man to Professor Moriarty. Uh, Sebastian Moran, the Tiger of India. And you <laughs> realize that throughout this whole story, no one has said the word Sherlock Holmes. No one. You've met two men, one of whom was in Afghanistan, they have moved into 221B, but he's not Sherlock Holmes. He was Professor Moriarty the whole time. And Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson are the killers they're looking for. And they're the ones fighting Cthulhu monsters. It was a great reveal. It's um, so And I good. love the fact that the reveal, it still isn't explicit to Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. or to Moriarty. You know, all we know is explicitly that it's John Watson. Mm-hmm. And we know explicitly that it's, um, not even explicitly, mm-hmm. we know that it's SM and we can infer who that is. Mm-hmm. I told you I got this 50% of the way. What was the 50% you got? I knew that the great detective that we were following mm-hmm. was not Sherlock Holmes because it was so vainly obvious that we were avoiding their name. Interesting. That was the thing. I was like, okay, we're avoiding his name, which means it's probably not him, and then it's probably Moriarty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very confident in that. I didn't get that I wasn't John Watson, though. I thought that would be an interesting twist, is that it was John Watson had met Moriarty mm. instead, and what their relationship was. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of thrown off because of one kind of detail, mm-hmm. and that was actually, in a weird way, the BBC Sherlock. Sure. Because in the BBC Sherlock, it's revealed that uh, John has a limp, but he wasn't actually shot in the leg. Mm-hmm. It's a, um, I want to get this term right. Psychosomatic. Psycho- it's a psychosomatic, thank you. Somatic, not semantic. Really not the right word. Psychosomatic. Psychosomatic. Yeah, you go. Thank you. Uh, limp. And he was actually shot in the shoulder. So in my head, John Watson was always shot in the shoulder. Yeah. So when this guy had his shoulder injury, I went, ah, must be John. No, I mean, that's, no, no, to be honest, that's fair because he is shot in the shoulder in A Study in Scarlet and he does have a shoulder injury and he does have a weak arm. Um, 
the depiction of Dr. John Watson with a cane, um, to my understanding, is purely part of the artwork and not actually, like, a, a part of his character. Like, I remember reading years ago that it's actually a hotly debated issue among fans of Sherlock Holmes about whether John Watson has a limp, because he has a cane, that's canon, like, he, he's described as walking with a walking stick, but I don't think it's ever described that he relies on it to support his weight, or if it's just part of his stylings. It's similar to the Deerstalker, like how Sherlock Holmes never actually wears a Deerstalker. So that is legit. Is that purely... Was that, did the Deerstalker come in on, with the artwork, or was that a much later... I think it is with the artwork. Canon. I think it is just illustrations of him show him with uh, that hat. And it de- depicts him as a hunter, you know, that um, the game's afoot and he's on the prowl, he's on the hunt. Okay, I can see. Mm-hmm. That's not too bad. Um, yeah, so that threw me off. Uh, I loved it, though, and I really liked, as you say, how non-explicit it makes it, how only John Watson is the only person to be explicitly named mm-hmm. as that character. Yeah, it relies else, on our just assumption. you to click together mm-hmm. you're because you are familiar with the character Sherlock Holmes and the tropes and that um it relies on your um on you not thinking too hard about it like I never considered the fact that his name was never said I just associated that with the anonymity of it all because I just thought oh John Watson in this version is just being more careful about who but <laughs> giving away his name and address to strangers but um Hey-ho. I thought that was always advertising. That was in-world advertising, wasn't it? Yeah. Here's something I really like about this story. Here's something I really Do like. You know and this just made me smile and beam after I read it. Is the fact that despite it all, despite how fucked up the world is, Sherlock Holmes and John Watson are still the good guys. They're still doing the right thing. Isn't that so nice? That the whole point of the story is everything is dark and strange and ruined, but Dr. John Watson and Sherlock Holmes are still doing the right thing and fighting the good fight. I think it is really nice, and it's something that I've always wondered. It's it's such a nice question to ask yourself sometimes when you're reading a book. Um, And depending on the context of, say, like the D&D paradigm, Mm -hmm. are our heroes, like, lawfully good? And they're just doing, you know, and it's because they're following the structure and they're doing it because that's the law and they're enforcing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I hear it's just so fundamentally good that regardless of the society they're put in, they will always do the right thing, categorically, air quotes. Yeah, and, um, the, and the thing is that Sherlock Holmes initially starts off very much letter of the law. He will send you to de- jail. He will have you hanged um, if you break the law. And then it's later down the line, after his supposed death, and he comes back and he's chilled out a lot, and he's much nicer, that I said at the start of the story, he lets people go. Even if they are murderers. If he thinks, like, listen, you you were a desperate situation, you did the right thing, you were defending yourself, whatever, the court will have no, will have no sympathy for you, but I will. I will accept no payment, and I will send you on your way. I will help you escape. How often does Sherlock not accept payment? Because I feel like that's part of his character trait. Well, it like, is his job. I don't think money issues are, are as much a uh, as much a feature of the story as they are um, laced down the line. Like the uh, the opening of Stain Scarlet, funnily enough, really establishes John Watson as a character in a way that I've never seen him before. In that you get the sense that he is a much more energetic uh, young man at the start of the stories. He hasn't mellowed out with age, and he mentions how he's like. A sp- he's a spendthrift like he blows all his like 
army pension, like living at a hotel and living large. And then he's a he's a he's a pauper by the time he meets Sherlock Holmes, and he really really needs to find somewhere cheaper to live. That's a, it does seem as a bit more of a fun man. I do always have, although I love the, the BBC one. I always felt that Martin Freeman made um, him just a little bit too somber to balance out Sherlock. Mm. I think. Um, I think they made. I mean, I have a lot, a lot of criticisms of the BBC Sherlock. Um, I think I enjoyed them a lot when they were coming out until the last two seasons, which I despised. And even at the time, two seasons. The last, yeah. Uh, there were only ever two seasons, mate. I don't know what you want about. There were, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You got me, man. Yeah, Sherlock. No, to much, be fair, much like I... the Star Wars, much like the Star Wars franchise, at this point, it's majority bad. Like there are a couple of good episodes, but it's majority pretty bad. It really upset me when Sherlock went that way. Up to the end of season two, it was actually one of my kind of favourite shows on TV at the time. Mm-hmm. And then season three was that like, okay, it's definitely worse, but I don't think, you know, it's still balanced. If this is the end, we're just, yeah. you know, it'll be fine. And then they're like, we're going to keep going. And it got, it just kept going downhill. I'm like, please stop. Yeah. Please just stop now. There's like, at the end of the day, when it comes back to it, all of those episodes are too long. To the point that they're really, when it comes down to it, there are two good episodes of BBC Sherlock. Um, if you, like, add all of the bits together, because A Study in Pink has, like, good bits. And, but all I don't like the rest of season one. Like, even the Moriarty episode. I think they introduced him way too early. Um, anyway. Agreed. Especially, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. it's relevant. Season one, first episode. Season two, the first two episodes, I think, are great. And then I think that's it. I think you've got one good season out of all of it. You know what's more relevant to this story uh, than BBC Sherlock? It's uh, the Cthulhu Mythos. Duncan, how well do you think... Wait for the start. If I had told you, Duncan, we're going to read a book about Sherlock Holmes in the Cthulhu Mythos, what would your reaction be? That sounds great. Okay. Because the Cthulhu Mythos... Um, particularly, actually, you know what? not in a lot of the stories. I think it gets sort of over eight because it features in some of the key stories. It's the idea of uh, the main characters being investigators. If you play Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game, you are investigators. You sure. are the detectives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, that doesn't actually feature, I think, if you did it by numbers mm-hmm. in a lot of the stories. So actually, I think it's a great dynamic. I think having someone, but obviously I assumed it was our detective slowly unraveling the larger horror. You know, Sherlock would be the one peeling back the layers to mm. discover yeah. the cosmic disaster on the cusp about to exactly, consume yeah. society. So Duncan, if, for example, in October of last year, I had said, Duncan, we're going to read the Cthulhu casebooks, Sherlock Holmes and the Shadwell Shadows by James Lovegrove. Um... You would have been down for that, then. Uh, yeah, I think I would have. Because this I is not really the enjoyed... only Sherlock Holmes meets Cthulhu series <laughs> or story. Oh my goodness! So last year okay. I read this book, thinking maybe we should do this for the podcast, and I ultimately decided not to because I thought it was a little gimmicky. And um, and honestly, like it's just fine. Like it, it, James Lovegood Grove uh, knows a lot about. Sherlock Holmes, like he writes Sherlock Holmes pastiches, so he was able to capture it and then just add in this weird element. But I didn't feel like it was worth our time ultimately. But yeah, this is not the only time this has been done. That one is not as good as this short story, but it's out there. 
I would love to now see other detectives run up against Cthulhu. I'm just imagining how we had like murder she wrote. (laughs) (laughs) But she unfails. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Murder she wrote. Midsummer murders. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, Midsummer Murders. If there was ever a show to just be on the telly when you're at your grandparents. I've never seen Midsummer Murders. I've even as a boy I was like, I know this show is silly. I will not watch this. So I did not. I I don't know why. Whenever I used to go around my grandparents' house, it was Midsummer Murders, mm-hmm. uh Father Brown, I think's another one. Mm. He's a priest. He goes around the country solving murders. Mm-hmm. Um and then, like, yeah, Murder, She Wrote, and a little bit of Miss Marvel, just continuously, that and Heartbeat, fucking hell. Imagine anyway, if, sorry. imagine Columbo in a world of Cthulhu. Like, every you episode. Know I've never seen Columbo. I've never seen it either. I've seen clips of it from YouTube. Just... I really want to watch it, though, because it looks so good. Um, which is such a weird thing to say. I think it makes it sound like it's, like, premiering on Netflix or something. But, no, it looks really fun, so I think I should watch that. And imagine... <laughs> Some strange beetle monster being like, oh, "That's very interesting. That's very interesting." Uh, uh, one more thing, Mister. Do you know what? I've thrown out all these names. Actually, if there's a one detective and particular version TV show of a detective that I want to see combined with Cthulhu, mm-hmm. it has to be Poirot. Yes, yes. You like, get it all together. Just... Get them all together, say, young ladies and gentlemen, we must discover who uh, committed this grave crime. Was it uh, Lady White? Was it Monsieur Grave? Was it Antalavon the Vast, despoiler of worlds? <laughs> we must get to the bottom of this. No one is leaving this room until we do. I'm going to have to search. The, do you know, after this, I'm going on the internet and I'm just going to be Kofi and Poirot and like fan fiction. Uh, it must be out there. That'd be brilliant. Oh, God. Really, what we've discovered from this is that Duncan and I need to play Call of Cthulhu again because clearly this is just our jam. We love detectives going up against Cthulhu monsters. It's it's a really fun dynamic. I think this is such a good, tight story mm-hmm. that executes the idea brilliantly. In fact, I would even say... Um, as someone who last year when we read American Gods by Neil Gaiman and didn't, you know, adore it, go and listen to our episode to find out more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has actually kind of gone up there. It's like one of my favourite Neil Gaiman pieces. <laughs> I, I genuinely, someone's asked me like, um, oh, I haven't really like, I've heard of this Neil Gaiman guy, but I haven't read anything and stuff. Like, what do you recommend? Now. I can't be like, mm, yeah, read this for 30 minutes and then go and get Stardust. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that... This is a good story, but it's not Neil Gaiman. It's more Arthur Conan Doyle than it is Neil Gaiman. He's he's vanished into the role. You can do this to show Neil Gaiman is he's a very clever writer, and he can do it to say he has this essentially fun sense of humor, and he's nerdy enough that he would choose to write something like this. But this does not tell you what makes Neil Gaiman work as a writer, aside from the fact that he's very versatile. But I always find with Neil Gaiman that versatility is actually what makes recommendations quite challenging because American Gods and Stardust and Good Omens are all very good books, but they all are very good in very different ways. Oh, yeah. probably appeal to a very different audiences. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you compare, you know, this to Coraline, you know? Oh, I actually feel like that's one of the easier comparisons to make. So, Geordie, who... Do you recommend this to? Like, how do you sell this book? Oh, man. I mean, I would recommend 
for Sherlock Holmes stories to everyone. Everyone. Like, anyone over the age of 11 years old, 10 years old. Like, if you can just understand some of the slightly archaic language. And it's not even that old. Like, it's just, it's very readable. I would seriously recommend the Sherlock Holmes stories. And if you can handle a Sherlock Holmes story... (laughs) <laughs> just read this. Like, if you have even the slightest familiarity with the Cthulhu-ness of it all, and frankly, you don't even have to, just give it a go. So essentially everyone. It's fun. It's not scary, even if it is, like, probably technically a horror. I, I mean, I, I can't think of anyone I wouldn't recommend this to. I wouldn't recommend it to people who would get offended at Sherlock Holmes being used in this way. But if you can handle... Sherlock Holmes versus Dracula, which I have enjoyed a fair bit, then you can handle this one. I think I'd be in full agreement with you in terms of, like, I recommend this to everyone. It is so short. If you come from a place of fandom for Sherlock Holmes, that's going to help. Obviously, I hadn't read the original stories. I do definitely think I was missing a little bit because of that, but it's not a limiting factor. You can still get a lot of enjoyment out of this story, just knowing Sherlock Holmes through the, you know, cultural swirl that he kind of exhibits. Um, I would also say that, again, on that Cthulhu, someone who maybe has a bit more of a Cthulhu background, while they're there and they're present, it definitely wasn't the same as Sherlock, where there was all, I sent you know, all these little references popping up. It wasn't quite that in detail with the Cthulhu. It wasn't like I was hunting for little references to Cthulhu stories. No, it's more just the general idea and the vibe. Cthulhu is never said. It's just the it's just cosmic horror. It's the aesthetic of stuff coming from the sea and blossoming out the sun and ruling the world, and shattering minds with their touch. You know that sort of thing. Yeah, those little those little little uh, motifs Mm -hmm. that Lovecraft liked to use. Yeah, it's really more Bloodborne when you think about it. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. In fact, yeah, I think it would be because it's not. Uh, I think that's one element of the fact that these elder beings do end up are ruling, mm-hmm. and I do sometimes think some of uh, H.P. Lovecraft's beings they wouldn't rule. No, they would just fuck off into the cosmos and destroy the planet in the process. Yeah, just but they wouldn't even notice skulls. that. They, they they just tread on you. And I think that's where it was quite different. And I, I actually really like the fact that Queen Victoria was. That was ruling it's so to good. It's really, the reveal of that is really phenomenal. All right. I think that wraps our discussion right. of the study in Emerald. Again, nine pages long. Just bloody read it. It's so good. Don't just read it. Read it and then tell us what you think about it. Mm. That process will take you less than 40 minutes. You can tell us what you think about it at our Instagram, if it's just fantasy podcast. Really like to hear more from you guys and what you think about some of the stories that we've read and what you think of our opinions, if you think our opinions are crap. Oh, and if you, you, think and if you want great. Duncan to read a Sherlock Holmes story, tell him which one to read. Oh, yeah, no, I better. I will. I'm going to say that's going to be a goal. That is a this year goal. I will read one Sherlock Holmes story. If you read one, buddy, you'll short. want to read another. They come in collections. I look forward to it. They're very short. But like the length of a Conan story. All right, so I've been your host, Geordie Bailey. I think you have a host on Knuckle. So long, everyone. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye.